Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for taking the time to watch and listen today. I'm joined by the Minister for Health and Social Care and our Director of Public Health. It has been a month since our last COVID-19 briefing, which reflects the stable situation here on the island. At the last briefing, I announced a further easing of our border restrictions. This move reflected continued progress in the vaccinations programmes, both here on the island and in the United Kingdom. It also reflected the UK's failing levels, or falling levels I should say, of infection. Since the most recent border changes came into effect on the 24th of May, we have seen only a handful of COVID cases detected in those travelling to our island. This is despite a sharp increase in travelling numbers, doubling in the first two weeks alone. All of these cases appear to have been contained. Today I return to the podium to again talk about our border restrictions and our plans to take another step towards normality. The changes we have made in recent weeks reflect our aim of a return to unrestricted travel between our island and the rest of the British Isles. This objective was set out in the COVID-19 exit framework, unanimously approved by Timwald in April. The framework sets out a managed and gradual process of relaxed travel restrictions, allowing us to move forwards one step at a time, always careful not to lose our footing. We have been in a privileged position for many months on this pandemic, with large periods of relative normality. But it has been that, relative. We must accept that the restrictions at our borders are not a normal situation. We all have families and friends who have not been able to see us for many months and it is very clear that we have areas in our economy that are under real pressure from the continued border restrictions. Our ambition, the return of a free flow of people between the island and our neighbours, is only possible because of our vaccination programme, a game changer in how we can now approach the pandemic. It has enabled us to pivot away from seeking to eliminate the virus from our lives and all that this entails to instead pursue a new approach of learning to live in a COVID-19 world. The vaccination programme means the risk of the virus spreading as well as the risk of serious illness and death from COVID is greatly reduced. Our response to the virus is adapting to reflect these new facts on the ground. Focus is shifting away from raw case numbers with levels of serious illness from COVID-19 and the capacity in our hospitals now the key factors. That is where the risk will lie when the next outbreak occurs and so this is where our focus must be. And we must all be prepared for another outbreak. It is a matter of when, not if. But thanks to vaccinations, our response to a future outbreak is likely to be different. It will be proportionate, taking into account the high level of vaccinations amongst our population and the benefits this brings in reducing spread, reducing serious illness and reducing fatalities. Education and raising awareness so that people can make informed personal choices will play an important part in adapting to live with the virus. No matter how much we may wish to, we cannot eliminate all risk in our lives, and that includes COVID-19. But people must be free to choose how they want to live their lives and manage their own risk based on clear guidance and advice. That is why we have been running our Be Safe, Be Smart, Be Kind campaign over recent weeks. People may wish to keep their distance, wear face coverings or avoid crowds, for example, and that is perfectly fine. We must be patient and tolerant, respecting people's choices and personal circumstances. When the exit framework was agreed in April, our vaccination programme was well underway and we have continued work to vaccinate as many people as possible. Almost 63,000 people have now received their first dose of vaccine and almost 30,000 people have received their second dose. Our focus now is on getting through the 32,000 second doses we have booked in over the coming weeks, 
ensuring those who are vaccinated have the maximum possible protection. As I said earlier, progress with vaccinations, both here and in the United Kingdom, is a key factor in being able to progress with implementing our exit framework. But two other factors remain equally important. Case numbers in our nearest neighbours and the emergence of any variants of the virus that gives us cause for concern. One such variant of concern has emerged, the Delta variant, first detected in India. We are now, I'm sure, all familiar with the threat Delta poses. It is now the predominant strain of the virus in the United Kingdom. It appears to be easier to catch and is more likely to lead to the hospitalisations than previous variants where someone has not been vaccinated. It has seen a sharp uptick in case numbers in the United Kingdom and the North West in particular with a rise in hospitalisations as a result. The evidence suggests that the vaccines are less effective against the Delta variant after only one dose. The good news, however, is that vaccines continue to provide broadly the same level of protection after the second dose and even more importantly are highly effective at reducing the risks of serious illness and hospitalisation even after just one dose. So what does this mean for our plans? The exit framework sets an indicative date for a return to unrestricted travel by the 28th of June. We have always been clear that any decision will need to be based on data, not dates. In light of the impact of the Delta variant, the Council of Ministers, supported yesterday by Timwald, believes it would be premature to remove the island's remaining border restrictions at the end of the month without further mitigations. This is reflected in the decisions being taken by our neighbours. In the last few days alone, England, Scotland, Jersey and Guernsey have all adjusted their position as a result of the Delta variant. The move towards unrestricted travel is undoubtedly one of the hardest decisions we need to make. And it is a decision that can only be fully reviewed with the benefit of hindsight. The key question is, do we believe that the increased risk posed by opening up the border further is outweighed by the needs across our society and our economy to do so? Given the continued vaccination progress I have outlined, the Council of Ministers does believe that despite concerns from the Delta variant, we can take another important step forward in our request to return to normal travel. I have said how important the protection offered by the vaccine is. It does more than protect an individual by reducing the likelihood of them becoming seriously ill. It protects us all as those who are vaccinated are less likely to spread the virus. Every time we get another jab in an arm, our level of protection as a society increases. And so in seeking to move forward, we have considered how vaccination status could play a role in our journey back to normality. Our border restrictions bought us time whilst a vaccine was developed. Now we must buy a little more time to complete the vaccination rollout. Let me take you through what we are now proposing for Monday the 28th of June. Anyone who has had two doses of COVID-19 vaccination administered within the British Isles and has had at least a week period, a two-week period following their second dose allowing the vaccine to take full effect, will be able to travel to the Isle of Man unrestricted. We're calling this 2 plus 2. This means no isolation and no testing on arrival. This will apply equally to residents returning to the island and for the first time in over 15 months to non-residents who wish to visit our beautiful island. 2 plus 2 means that there will be no need for fully vaccinated non-residents to apply for an exemption to travel here, although everyone coming to the island will still need to complete a landing form. An important caveat remains, however. Even a fully vaccinated, anyone who has travelled outside of the common travel area, and that is the United Kingdom, Ireland, the Isle of Man, Jersey and Guernsey, in the previous 10 days to arriving here on the island, will still face restrictions. Those who have been to an amber list country, as defined by the UK, 
will need to continue to follow the existing pathway of isolation and testing, either here or in the United Kingdom. Those who have been to a red list country, as defined by the United Kingdom, will not be permitted to enter the island directly and must first complete their period of quarantine in the United Kingdom before travelling on. 2 plus 2 is a significant change and moves us a step closer towards unrestricted travel across the British Isles for many of our residents and non-residents. The number of people eligible will only be increasing over the coming weeks as the vaccination programmes here and across the water continue. Checks for vaccination status will of course need to happen and we are putting in place processes for this in the lead up to the 28th. We will see increased activity and checks around our ports and we will also start to see a significant police and customs operations around the ports as we move forward. Given that only those aged 18 and over are currently being offered vaccinations, we still need measures in place for children travelling to the Isle of Man, both residents and non-residents alike. Testing will therefore in the short term need to remain a requirement for children with a test on arrival and release from isolation if the result is negative. We are however removing the requirement for children aged under 5 to have to test and isolate. I know testing can be difficult for some young children. Our focus must be on preventing the spread of the virus in our schools and so we think it is proportionate and reasonable to target testing at children of school age. We will of course keep this and all these policies under review and on the aspect of children would hope to be able to review this position again as the schools approach their end of term. The protection offered by 2 plus 2 means that we can now also take vaccination status into account as part of contact tracing where we have cases of the virus on Ireland. If someone is fully vaccinated then from the 28th of June they will no longer be required to isolate if they are identified as a close contact of someone with the virus. This will significantly reduce the impact on our society during an outbreak. Another change we are making is opening up to people wishing to travel from Ireland. This includes the new rule for 2 plus 2 as well, as, as well as those who are not fully vaccinated, who will be able to apply for an exemption to travel to the island if they have immediate family here, own property or have a contract of employment for at least three months. I said earlier, these changes around fully opening our borders are perhaps the hardest to call. There will be many members of our society who will be anxious at a further relaxation of our border restrictions. We do understand that. There will be some within our community who will raise calls to increase, not decrease, restrictions on our borders. And we also understand that. Likewise, there will be some who feel the pace is too slow and that we need to go further, faster. And when cases do inevitably occur, there will be members of our community who question the approach we took. But we believe the changes we are bringing forward strike the right balance. The right balance between the concerns over rising cases and hospitalisations in the United Kingdom and the increasing pressures across society and the economy for movement once again given the protection offered by the vaccination programme. The right balance between the benefit of waiting for more of our population to get second doses and the important insights, such as those published by Public Health England, that gave us more confidence that the vaccines are effective against the Delta variant when it comes to serious illness and hospitalisation, even after just one dose. I appreciate there is a lot of information here, and we are working to update our website with full details. I would close in just emphasising that the Council of Ministers considered long and hard the choices we had. We could, of course, stood to stand still and hold the current position. We could have chosen to step backwards, increasing restrictions. For all the reasons I have set out, we have chosen to take another step forward. It isn't quite the one we had hoped to be able to take at this stage, but it is a step forward nonetheless. We will continue to review the position here and elsewhere, and we fully intend on continuing to progress towards unrestricted travel for all as soon as the situation allows. 
Let's now take some questions and first I have Leanne Cook from 3FM. Good afternoon Leanne, fast am I. Good afternoon Chief Minister. Uh, I appreciate that was quite a lot of information. My first question do you have a time frame in which you hope to introduce the next stage of the island's borders easing, I mean after June the 28th, specifically similar to Level 2 or Level 1 initially set out in the island's uh, exit framework? Well, obviously, Leanne, it will, an awful lot of it will revolve around data um, going forward. I have given a commitment to, the, um, to Timble that we have one more Timble left where we can change um, the regulations going forward, hopefully for the better. Obviously, in three weeks' time, most of our schools um, will, will be closing for the end of term. And therefore, if we can alter the regulations for allowing older children not to have the, the vaccine, then that's something we will look at. But again, it's data. So we are totally open to making further changes. But I think really we need to wait and see how the next couple of weeks go before we um, go any further. I don't know, David, if you'd like to uh, give any further. Yeah, thank you, Chief Minister. Yeah, it'll, it'll be around the data and what's happening in the UK. We've said throughout that we will always take steps. Now, that hasn't always tied in with exactly what's written in the exit framework. Um, the exit framework was always a guide for us to work to. And this is another step forward that, of course, isn't um, isn't fully listed in the exit framework. But um, that's what we'll do. We'll look at what the data is around us, and then we'll decide if we can go further than we have at the moment, or whether we need to remain where we are. But this today is yet another step on that journey. It's not the final model of things of how things will look it's not going to be there in, in perpetuity it's going to be just another step on that path as we move back to normal thank you and my second question a member of the public has got in touch and says these new changes almost feel like a vaccine passport and it's sounding more like getting vaccinations as compulsory if you want freedom they've described themselves as feeling like a second-class citizen as they haven't yet got a jab what would your response be to this? Well, well, first and foremost, and this is only a temporary measure to allow us to move forward and, and a step closer to normality. Our ultimate aim remains restriction-free travel between our islands and the rest of the British Isles. Now, all island residents are free to travel to and from the island, and any resident who doesn't qualify for the 2 plus 2 pathway is, of course, still able to use the test-to-release pathway. So this, is, this move isn't about penalising people, it's about enabling people to travel freely, which I think is a po very positive step forward, especially with those with family and friends who haven't been able to see one another for over 15 months. Now, this is not something that the Isle of Man is unique in doing. Um, Ireland are going to be introducing it next month. Guernsey, Jersey are already doing it. So, and, and if you want to go to France, for example, you have to have a pre-COVID test before you go. So I think COVID passports will be something that uh, all around the world we will have to accept. Whether we like it or not is, is, is another issue. But if we want to move around, we're going to have to accept that. But equally, you have to remember that if people have had a, um, the two plus two, the vaccinations two and two week gap, then that significantly reduces the chances of them bringing the virus to the island and infecting people who haven't through no fault of their own, been unable to take the vaccine. And that's what we've got to consider. Thank you very much, Leanne. We now move on to Rob Pritchard from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Rob. Fast am I. Fast am I, Chief Minister. I just wanted to, first of all, um, off, the, off the bat of that uh, second question there, um, it, it seems that it could be the younger members of society who have stuck to the rules just as well as anyone else, maybe feeling left out or even um, discriminated against effectively because of their age. Um, how is this the most fair system and how would you actually um, allay any concerns that some, some might feel that this discriminates based on age or eligibility? Well, in a, in a way, the young people are lucky, um, Rob, because they don't have the high risk of our elderly, more elderly and, and vulnerable population of dying or being hospitalised. So the most important thing is, is to protect, as a government, protect those who are more likely to, be, to either risk serious hospitalisation or ultimately death. 
um, first. Now, if there was a problem, if this virus, for example, affected young people more than our elderly, then of course it would be the other way around. But the, we all know the virus impacts significantly on our more elderly population. When our young people are vaccinated, they will be able to be part of the two plus two. We are ahead of the United Kingdom in giving um, our 18-year-olds the, the vaccination and therefore in a short period of time, in a couple of months' time, they will be able to have this too. I understand the frustration, but at the end of the day, our aim is to protect the people of the Isle of Man. And if I was much younger, I would be thinking myself lucky that I wasn't at the bad risk that people of my age and older are, are facing. And just as a supplementary to that, as we start to get to the younger age groups when it comes to vaccinations, um, what plans do you have as a government to effectively ramp up the amount of vaccines that can be done to, again, avoid these sort of concerns that some people may have about who can travel freely and who can't? Well, obviously, it depends on the supply of vaccines. So I think I'll hand over to the health minister to um, expand on that answer yeah, for you. Yeah, if, if I can come in, Rob, on that. In relation to vaccines, our vaccine programme is open to all adults 18 or above. We reached that point quite a long time ago. So anyone 18 and above who wishes to have the vaccine can go online, can register. Um, you, you mentioned before about, um, about, you know, is it discrimination against younger people? What I would say is we've got to remember what this is all about. This is about the island trying to get back to normality, to allowing more people into the island, be that residents to travel easier or family and family to be able to come into the island. Now, what we've been doing is following the science. So in relation to the vaccine, we know that the science around the vaccine has moved on massively, even just in the last two months. And it's now showing various real-world analysis that those vaccinated not only have a lower risk of transmission, but also there's been a report by the ONS that's been published today actually looking at infection amongst vaccinated people that shows they also have lower risk of infection. So we have to factor all that in and also we've got to remember that even if someone doesn't decide they don't want the vaccine the pathway for them coming back to the island is very different than what it used to be now i've always very publicly stated i don't believe in mandatory vaccination i would urge everyone to go out and get the vaccine personally but i respect the fact that's people's choice but the pathway now for anyone who doesn't wish to do that at the moment and it is a temporary measure is that they come back they do one test and then they are released, and then a surveillance test on day six. So in general circumstances, their isolation period is 24 hours. That compares to the systems that were previously in place, which on occasions were seven or 14 day isolation. So we have to have the perspective around the fact that even if someone isn't double vaccinated and two weeks as a resident, the pathway they have to go through is a lot less laborious than the pathway they had previously. And as I say, this is a staging post. This isn't the end result. This isn't what our borders are going to look like forevermore. This is a step on the journey on the way to us releasing further. And I think it's a sensible interim step for us to be taking. Thank you, Rob. OK, thank you. And that, my second question, um, just looking around the subject of uh, testing, as it were, uh, as we've known for a very long time, the vaccine doesn't totally eradicate people transmitting it, and yet we will have the likes of uh, both residents and non-residents coming in without testing or isolation, but we're still going to have a large proportion of our population that isn't fully vaccinated. And taking into account the likes of the Delta variant, as we know, which is more transmissible, and the fact that it can be a bit more resistant to a vaccine in the first dose at least, how is this the best way forward rather than keeping some form of testing for any residents or non-residents coming back over to make sure more of our not fully vaccinated residents stay protected as best they can? Well, first and foremost, Robert, it's about risk reduction. We can't live in a world without risk. Um, I, I would take issue with the uh, a large amount of our population not being vaccinated. I think I gave the figures that 63,000 of our population have already had a first dose. That's a significant percentage of those eligible um, for, for a dose. And I think 30,000 have had their second. So we, we have a very high percentage of people who have received their first dose. And as we gave an evidence in, in our speech earlier, um, the first dose um, whilst it has slightly reduced the efficacy against um, the Delta variant, it still gives significant defence against hospitalisation 
or, or, or death. I don't know, um, David, if you'd like to expand on that. Yeah, and then if I can bring the Director of Public mm -hmm. Health in as well, Chief Minister. Um, I think the important thing, first of all, around vaccines, Rob, when you mention, is we look at the figures. Now, remember that there's some people who are more vulnerable to this virus than others. And if you look at those vulnerable categories, 93% of those who are classed as vulnerable on the island have had their first dose. And actually, 63% of that population have now had the second dose as well. Now, in relation to, um, in relation to the um, Delta variant, the Chief Minister has made a very important point because in the international media, we see lots of stuff bandied around about the decrease in, in efficacy around the Delta variant of the vaccines. What that's relating to is symptomatic disease. It's not relating to the ability, even after first dose, to reduce serious illness and death. And that is what we've got to focus on now. COVID-19 is not going to go away. We've got to accept it is forevermore going to be circulating. And unfortunately, there will be cases on Ireland. But as I've said before, it's not now about cases. It's about the serious illness and death aspect, and the vaccine is still effective. You mentioned there about the fact that um, the vaccine doesn't prevent people transmitting. Um, most, some of the most recent studies I've seen have suggested the reduction transmission can be up to 70%. And I referred briefly there to the ONS report that came out today as well, that was looking um, at quite a large number of people who'd been vaccinated and the effect on did they go on to contract the virus. And in fact, um, if you actually look at that report, the risk of infection occurring in a vaccinated individual two months after the first dose was at the high end 4%, at the low end 1.4%, and that's only after one dose. And, of course, we've got to remember we're limiting it to people who've had both doses and two weeks after that second dose. So we are talking visitors, really, who will have had at least 10, 10 weeks from their first dose and that same technical report finds that the risk then drops from a, at the high end 3% um, to a low end of 0.8%. So, you know, and that doesn't build in the effectiveness of second dose either. So the science is constantly moving on around this, and that's what factors into our thinking. But I'll bring in the Director of Public Health. Thank you, Minister. There's actually very little for me to be brought in for because the Minister has just summarised the evidence extremely clearly. Um, the issues are understanding the difference between people who are infected but don't have symptoms so don't present themselves, and they are the ones that often are lost from studies because they're not coming forward, and this is the importance of the ONS data because that is based on ongoing surveillance of asymptomatic households. So that is why the evidence from that is so encouraging and so strong, because it is very much showing that if you have been vaccinated, you are at very low risk of actually being infected, never mind actually developing symptoms and going on to present. So at every step, whether it's the risk of being infected and therefore being able to transmit, or the risk of developing symptomatic illness, or the risk of developing serious illness with high risk of hospitalisation and death, the evidence is accruing that even with the Delta variant, the vaccines are very effective against that. Thanks thank very you. much, Dr Ewart, and thank you, Rob, for your question. Now we move on to Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Hi, good afternoon. Um, parents have voiced some concerns with me this week about the increased risk of COVID outbreaks in schools in the future. Of course, schools were a primary driver of transmission during the last outbreak. There are vulnerable children in schools who sadly would have quite severe effects if they were to catch COVID, and of course, who won't be vaccinated for the foreseeable future. So what mitigation measures are in place to protect them? Right, well, that's why I mentioned in my opening um, speech, Alex, that we brought in legislation which excludes children from under five from having to have the test. So if any child comes to the island over five for the next three, four weeks, they won't be able to go to school unless they've had a, a test to see whether they have um, COVID or not. Now, we hope to change that once the schools have, have closed for the, the holiday period, but that was we, we've made sure that that is a mitigation in place to protect our young people. I know, David, you will want to expand on that. Yes, thank you, Chief Minister. 
one of the, uh, one, we've taken several measures actually, Alex. So the Chief Minister's just touched on one, where under the current legislation, the exemption from testing is only five and below. Anyone over that age group um, will still require to be tested and still required to present a negative result before they're released from isolation. Now, one of the drivers, of course, on that, and this again, it goes back to a recent study, which is the REACT-1 study by Imperial College that looked at the period of case growth in the UK over the three weeks from the 20th of May to the 7th of June, actually found that the two age groups that were driving that out particular outbreak were those aged 18 to 24 and also the age group 5 to 11. Uh, sorry, 5 to 12. So, so, the, so they, they found that that cohort was actually driving it. So that's one of the reasons we've kept testing in place. But what we have also done, which was announced the other day, of course, is we've, we've also brought forward a surveillance pilot that will be run in secondary schools. Now, it's entirely voluntary. People don't have to take part, but I would hope people would want to take part, and those that do will be given two lateral flow tests a week to be able to test. So those who may be concerned in their family households can actually take up that surveillance pathway. But we do have to emphasise, again, it goes back to something you said there, that even where there are children who are vulnerable and they have underlying health conditions, their risk of serious illness from COVID is still much reduced compared to adults in the vulnerable category. Now, there's been various studies going on around the world so that from this and from the ones I can see, that is still the case. And I'll bring the Director of Public Health in if she's got anything to add to that. Thank you, Minister. Yes, that's correct. Even children with underlying health conditions still seem to catch COVID at very much lower rates than adults and still to have very milder asymptomatic illness. And that, in fact, is one of the issues with school-aged children. The vast majority of them are asymptomatic, so they're only picked up when there is surveillance testing or surge testing because of outbreaks. And I think long-term, one is going to have to think whether one needs to be doing much testing in school environments or whether once the majority of the population is as protected as they can be from vaccination, actually one would then stop doing it because the costs of doing it and the risk of disruption, if you look at closing classes and so on, actually outweighs the benefits of a, a mild illness in that age group, which for the vast majority, even those with health conditions, actually remains asymptomatic most of the time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, your next question, Alex. Thank you. Um, will there be any measures for people who are coming into the island from abroad via the UK or Ireland to bypass the UK's mandatory border testing scheme? I know the costs of the tests once you arrive in the UK are quite high, but obviously it's an irrelevant test if you understand if people are passing through the UK with their destination being the Isle of Man to isolate here. So will there be any measures in place so they can bypass that test? Well, legally, you must declare if you have been outside the United Kingdom, Jersey, Guernsey or um, the Republic of Ireland. And if you have, then you will legally be obliged to isolate. Um, if, you, and if you've been in a red country, you won't be allowed to um, come to the Isle of Man unless you've been 10 days back in either the UK, Ireland, um, Jersey or, or Guernsey. So that is a legal requirement. Um, anything I've forgotten there, David? So I think your question is, Alex, can people travel yes. back to the Ireland by passing any isolation requirements in the UK? Um, the answer yes. is no. Um, if people, the UK is quite clear that if people are travelling through their borders, they need to respect their requirements. So from amber countries at the moment, that means purchasing two tests, even although, as you say, those people may not get to use the tests because they were maybe onward travel to the Isle of Man. But they, um, and if it's from a red country, they have to do the quarantine in the UK. Um, that, is, that is a stipulation from the UK that if you are travelling through their borders, you must respect their rules. Yeah, we, we will allow the island to be used as a, a loophole to, to avoid any travelling in, you know, via, um, say, Ireland, for, for example. So it, there are strict legal penalties for misleading statements on your entry form. OK, thanks very much, Alex. Um, now we move on to Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Fast am I. Uh, fast am I, Chief Minister. This is probably more for the Health Minister or for maybe even Dr Yu. We've heard from pregnant women who, for one perfectly valid reason or another have waited to have their vaccines um, and they're now saying that when they've they've been told they have to register now or they may have to wait until the autumn would, would we not be better prioritizing these women as opposed to students returning from university throughout the summer program 
Well, with that, we are urging them to register now, Sam, because if they register now, then we will be able to get them vaccinated. The issue is, as has been explained in press releases before, the UK is switching focus, and that affects us as well, with our supply coming from the UK, from the main vaccination programme at the end of August, moving towards a booster programme, so uh, which, we, which we hope will start some point in September, but that's still to be confirmed. Now... Once that happens, we have been clear to people that's why they should register before, and that's exactly the same for pregnant women. The, the clinics we are running for students are actually before those dates, um, and that's exactly, they're in exactly the same situation. We have given students specific clinics, but if pregnant women register now, they will be vaccinated while we have the stock of vaccine. Just on that, would it, so are you saying that people who may want to wait until they've given birth to their child... Are they able to register now to say, look, I'm due in eight weeks, can they book now to get vaccinated in 10 weeks or are we saying that they should be vaccinated while pregnant? Well, at the moment, the, pro the advice has changed around vaccine and pregnancy. Um, it is now that they can have the vaccine. What it is, is it's based around stock because, as I say, the, the, it's, at the end of August, it's switching. So someone couldn't book now and say, I want the vaccine in October because there won't be the vaccine supply. The vaccines have a shelf life. So while we can draw down stock in this phase probably up until the end of August from certain vaccines. There's some that the UK say switch off in July. Um, after that, they only have a limited shelf life. So we can't stock a load of vaccines somewhere um, in the hope that people will come forward in the future because they will just go out of date. So what we're saying to people is if they want the vaccine, now's the time. And we're making people aware that if they're wanting it at a later date, for whatever reason, that is personal choice, they do have to be aware that any booster programme will be starting from the top age groups and working down again, which is why there has been the suggestion that it may be to next autumn. It's to allow people to make an informed choice, Sam, based on what you know what's available some people may choose on the balance to get vaccinated now others may decide for again through their personal choice um to delay it but we've put that information out there to people so they can make that informed choice for themselves thank you and just secondly we absolutely welcome digitization of vaccine uh, vaccine confirmation i know through talking to you it's something we've pushed for all the way along but we do have this concern that some older members of our community and even people in the uk who want to see grandchildren they may not be the most tech-savvy in terms of apps. Just in terms of that, what will be available for them instead of using this NHS app? Yeah, I'll take that as well, Chief Minister. So the good news with this is it will also allow them access to the barcoded letters um, that the UK produce, um, because what the UK do, the UK have exactly the same problem. Not everyone in the UK is massively tech-savvy and can use the NHS app. So what they have as an alternative is a formal letter listing the requirements um, for the vaccine, including the batch numbers, etc., and it has a specific barcode. Now, that's something we previously haven't been able to access, but now, because of the NHS app, we will be able to access that, so there will be an alternative for people as well. Thanks very Thank much. You. Thanks very much, Sam. Now we move on to Siobhan Fletcher from Alaman Newspapers. Good afternoon, Pastor Mai. Good afternoon. Um, so... You're on mute. I think you need to unmute. Thank you. Um, so our first question would be, what is the logic behind dropping border, border testing altogether? What would the harm be in maintaining this as a basic level of protection to prevent the Delta variant from entering the island? And would the lateral flow testing you touched on earlier at the border not be a viable compromise? Well, we looked at all options, I, I, I suppose given the um, the recent data that we've got on what 2 plus 2 that protection gives us and, and the fact that if we say to people who want to come on holiday, you've got all the protection possible, but you're going to have to stay in your hotel room for 24 hours, etc., are they going to come? Um, equally, the protection is there for, for our people because, as the health minister has gone into great detail on um, what the infections rates can be as a result or spreading the, the virus as a result of you having the 2 plus 2, it's significantly reduced. It's a decision we, we felt we could make. Now, it's not just us. This isn't a unique Isle of Man situation. As I've said earlier, this is going to be an island. This is already in Jersey, Guernsey, and other jurisdictions insist um, that you have a test before you come. So we, we have followed our neighbours. Um, we've been planning this, for, you know, looking at this for a while. And it's not something, as I say, that is unique to the Isle of Man. It, it's um, widely used and will be widely used going forward. 
David, do you want to expand on that? Yes, yeah. So um, in terms of um, border controls, we're only releasing it for those that are double vaccinated plus two weeks. Um, so we're not generally opening up and saying you don't need a test. Anyone else still has to go through the PCR testing, which is the gold standard on day one, um, before they can be released. We're keeping that in place. In relation to those who are vaccinated double dose plus two weeks, I've already just laid out before some of the science around that, whereas initially um, it was seen that it reduced transmission, we now are seeing science that is saying actually it reduces the you know the risk of them actually contracting COVID as well and actually being infected. Now it's never an exact science but one of the other interesting things that is starting to emerge from around the world is where people have been double vaccinated what the vaccine does is it suppresses the virus so that tends to suggest that the and, and actually the studies have started to show this that even where someone who's double vaccinated is infected they have a lower viral load and in some cases the viral load is so low that a test wouldn't show it up anyway um, because it's too low for the test to actually detect. So th that's why a lot of the, the international health organisations actually make the exact suggestion of what we are doing, saying that it is not worth testing people who are double vaccinated plus two weeks. But I'll bring the Director of Public Health in. Yes, again, really very little to add to what the Minister has just said. Obviously, the risk goes down to extremely low. It doesn't go down to zero, but we know that that's the environment that we're moving into now. Um, risk mitigation, not the elimination of COVID that we had over the, the months of last year. Um, so, yes, there is very little additional to be gained by testing those who have been double vaccinated um, in terms of actually adding mitigation for the, the rest of our population. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. To you, thank you, Siobhan. I think it's important to point out that we can never do, we can never totally reduce the risk, but with the mitigations that we've put in place, we feel we've given the best protection to the people of the Isle of Man whilst allowing them to take a step forward and, and the ability to, to move around and, and, and see family, friends, loved ones. So it, it's all about risk. We cannot guarantee the public that we will not see and a further outbreak of COVID on the Isle of Man. But because of the vaccinations, um, the high percentage that we've done, it should significantly reduce the impact on the island going forward. I believe you had um, another question. Yeah, secondly, in terms of um, other plans you've got in place to prevent widespread outbreaks, um, evidence suggests that the accuracy of lateral flow testing falls dramatically when they're administered by self-trained non-healthcare workers versus lab scientists, meaning they can give the wrong result as much as 60% of the time. Um, the FDA recently recalled their use in the US due to concerns about the safety of them. Given these reports that have emerged about lateral flow testing and some of the criticisms over in the UK, are they actually going to be um, any good really in preventing widespread outbreaks on the island? Right, well, I'll, I'll let David answer that one in detail. Yeah, so, th so as a mitigation measure, they are. Um, like I say, if you win elimination phase still, everything would remain as PCR, as it did throughout the entire elimination phase, because you're trying to remove the virus completely. We've got to be absolutely honest, this is a virus. It's going to be in circulation for years, decades to come, if not forever, um, as some viruses are. And we are not going to prevent outbreaks on the island. There will be outbreaks. Um, what we have to do is contain serious illness and death as a result of that. So, as I've mentioned at this podium before, the way we respond and the way we react can be very different. So, if you had an outbreak where you had 1,000 cases, but all 1,000 cases of those people were well, your reaction would be very different to, say, if you had an outbreak of 20 cases and all those, patient, those people were seriously ill and potentially patients in hospital. So, it's not around numbers anymore. And we need to, and it's hard for me as well because I've spent a year coming to this podium and giving out numbers and focusing on stats. And so, it's hard for me to get my head around as well. But we need to flip it now. And it's not about outbreaks and case numbers, it's about what they actually mean in reality. Now, lateral flow plays a part in that. We are sticking with PCR for the day one test for those who require it and what we are using lateral flow for at this moment in time starting next week is the school surveillance pilot and it is just that the key word is surveillance um, it's not being used um, it's not being used as a measure or anything like that it's a surveillance so lateral flow does come into the mix of surveillance 
one of the reasons you mentioned about accuracy of lateral flow, that's why we didn't use them in the elimination phase. That's why myself, the Chief Minister, and on occasions the Director of Public Health stood at this podium when it was raised about lateral flow and said, no, we won't be using them because the level of accuracy and the potential for either false negatives or false positives um, at, in an elimination phase was too high of that risk. But it changes now as we're in mitigation. It is another tool in our arsenal. And I'll bring the Director of Public Health in. Yes, again, uh, the ground has been very well covered by the Minister there. There are a number of issues about um, the LFDs. Firstly, the issue in America is that the FDA had never, ever approved an LFD test. So they were rather disgruntled to find that a particular company had been marketing them. So that's the background to that. Now, in the UK and indeed across Europe, LFDs have got marketing authorisation um, from the appropriate regulatory body, so that's the MHRA in respect of the UK. However, the marketing authorisation is very limited, and I think from memory it is limited to um, authorising the use of the LFDs by a health professional. So that's the issue you were touching on about the difference between when they're used by health professionals and when they're used by members of the general public who've just watched a video or read a leaflet. Um, so what happens then, then in the UK is the tests that have been authorised by the MHRA <clears throat> are passed on to a particular um, branch of, the public health, of Public Health England down at Porton Down, and they do what is called three-phase um, testing of those kits to test whether they are robust enough and accurate enough to be used in mass surveillance setting. And there, as the minister was saying, you're not looking for the high accuracy. You'll accept a medium accuracy because if you've got an awful lot of COVID circulating, actually being able to identify and take out even a proportion of it is useful in bringing things under control. So the situation in the US is somewhat different from how it's been in the UK and here. And of course, a major issue for us with the LFDs was and will continue to be how useful they are or are not against a background of very low circulating COVID. And that's one of the things we'll be looking to learn more about when we do the school pilot. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think it's um, worth pointing out also that this is a pilot. Um, this, the lateral flow test in our secondary schools. So obviously we will learn from the results, see how it goes. If it's something we feel we can roll out further afield, of course we will, but it, it's, it's a pilot and we will share the, the results with yourselves. Right, now last but not least, we have Mr Paul Moulton from Isle of Man Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. We're going to unmute, Paul. Can we unmute, Paul? It's a terrible link. Just no, you, you're, you're just on mute, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, uh, if you could, I'm not. I'm not. You're not now. You're not we now. Can you were on mute you, you, were, you were a second ago. Yeah. No, no the te this technical thing was saying I was unmuted, but I was trying to say the link has been so poor, it's hard to hear what you've been saying today. So can you hear me now? Yeah, can we can hear, hear you fully. clear. Right. Just before um, we start, have you got any data really from Mr Ashford on these... How many people have come into the Isle of Man who have had both jabs and yet have gone on to prove test positive? Have you got that data? Uh, the, uh, my understanding, and certainly from anything I've seen, no one has. I've not seen anything that suggests anyone has. Right. Can hardly hear you, but... I'll... So it's a no, Paul. Right. Um, Yes, this is, are we really got to do these things back in person, please. If the, if the well, your, your colleagues seem to have been person, able to handle it okay, Paul. No, there's problems here. So, anyway, um, uh, ITV Channel has just um, flagged up that the whole of um, uh, UK and Scotland, I'm sorry, I say UK, England and Scotland have gone to red. This is for Jersey, by the way. Jersey have just changed the rules. They, they're going to have to have a one, five, and a 10 day test. This looks like they, they, they can see that this is not a, a good idea to open up. Your, your thoughts? Well, we're all different and we, we look at risk differently. For, for a long time now, Jersey have had us, most of our northwest, for example, has been code red um, from, from their point of view. They went down a different route from us and were slightly more liberal in their approach on the free movement of everyone 
coming to to Jersey, and but they came up with their various counties of the UK on, on how they would assess them, and I think they were up at 56 the last time I looked. I haven't areas of the United Kingdom that they had as a red area that would have to isolate. I haven't got the latest details if they've changed just recently, Paul. I don't know, David, if you've got any more detail. Um, I believe all of England I've seen is to be added to the red list, Paul, but I haven't seen anything about them saying Scotland and all of Scotland and Wales as well. Um, I know a lot of Scotland was in their red area anyway, um, but certainly the headline I've got from ITV states um, all of England to be added to Jersey's travel red list, um, which was published uh, about Scotland 10 minutes ago. Scotland and Wales ago. were already in the red area, so they've added England and, uh, to that list, basically. Yeah, just I was going to say, I knew most of Scotland was in. I didn't think all of it was because of the way they split Scotland out into the different regions. The other man's still green, if that's good news. Um, we've got... 11 days to get this NHS app up and working. Um, these things normally take a little time. Can you give us any indication that you're going to hit that uh, target? Because obviously it can cause uh, issues if, we, if the UK people can come to the Isle of Man because they've got the app already. But Isle of Man people returning or whatever, people already over there coming in, if it's not working, we'll have to go through this other procedure. Are you confident in 11 days' time the NHS England app, I believe it's England one, is going to be on our phones and ready to work. Yes, because NHS Digital is actually in the process of setting us to live. Um, they're doing some work for Wales at the moment, but as soon as that work's completed, they are switching over to working for it to set us to live. This isn't something that's just suddenly happened or suddenly occurred in the last couple of weeks. We've been having discussions with the UK for a long time about this now to get into this position because there's had to be all sorts of agreements uh, drawn up and signed because we are an independent country and an independent NHS. Um, but the work on this has been going on behind the scenes with officers in government and within my, uh, my area of DHSC for several months now actually to be perfectly honest um, because we've known that eventually we would need some kind of solution so this isn't something um, that has just suddenly happened it's something that's being worked on for some time and the reason that we've gone public with it now is because those agreements are falling into place and we're getting ready to set it alive it's worth pointing out that if we didn't have a reciprocal if we didn't have a reciprocal health agreement paul with the united kingdom we wouldn't be able to take part in, in this agreement and our colleagues in the Channel Islands are, un, are unable to be part of this. Uh, I see there's lots of cruise liners all due to come into Douglas over the summer. Those will have people who've started in all sorts of other countries. Now, they may or may not have had tests. It depends on which cruise company uh, you go by. How will you treat them when they, they want to get off the ship and uh, come onto land if they haven't got the UK uh, NHS app? Well, if they don't have the 2 plus 2 in an approved jurisdiction, they won't be allowed onto the island at this moment in time, Paul. I think if you look at an awful lot of cruise ships, they're saying unless you've had the, the vaccinations, you won't be allowed on them anyway. So that will be something that our, our public health will work with the cruise ships to ensure that only people who meet the criteria are allowed onto the island. If, if you haven't been double-dosed, you won't be able to come get off the ship to come on to the island. I don't know, David, if you want to expand. Yeah, I believe conversations have already been had with the cruise industry and cruise companies, and they are fully aware of the rules. Um, people have to abide by the rules when they come into the island. If you remember, Paul, we had this um, debate last year about EasyJet when EasyJet announced a timetable. And was this, you know, was this going to mean that people, the rules were going to change and everything else? The answer is no. The rules are the same across the board and it will be the same for cruise ships as it is for all of the types of entry to the island. OK, thank you. And, and please, let's do these in person. I mean, some of the streams haven't been working for some of the output today. Constant issues since we ever started this. Please, let's do it in person if people want to. Surely now we can do this. We do not have to be left hanging around on a Zoom call. I'll, I'll take on board your comments, Paul. Right, thank you very much, and thank you all very much for your questions. Um, that's all for today. I appreciate it's been an awful lot of detail to give you today, but I hope um, you've been able to understand what well, we've done our best to explain it, but obviously it's on our website if you need any further details. So that's all for today. Thank you all very much for, for listening, and I hope you all have a great weekend. Bye-bye.